Uh, it's really been a pleasure to be with you guys and to have uh, meals with you, and I've had a chance to meet a number of you, and that's been a real treat to me, and I appreciate that very much. Winston started this session by challenging you with Acts 17.11 that said the Bereans were more noble than the Thessalonians. For receiving the word eagerly, they searched the scripture to see if what was said was true. And I really encourage you as you leave here today that though you've heard some great discussion out of Jerry and Walt and Skip and Trevor, that uh, you take very carefully, filter out what was said and uh, think what's going on. 48 hours. That's all we've been here, guys. It's amazing. In 48 hours, the amount of ground we'll cover. Sometimes I've been in these retreats. I think we've been here five days by the time we get through 48 hours. And in, <laughs> and in 48 hours, and it, it, some, because some of the, the talks are so exciting. I think that's the reason it seems that long. So we've covered a lot of ground. Uh, I wanted to review a comment I made yesterday, and so the, I'm pleased I have the audience, I mean, have the uh, chance to sit up here. I want to be sure I went back, circled back around, and made my point, uh, point very, very carefully. I, in no way am I talking down, excuse me, the, the comment was about uh, applying the Bible into business, business ethics and business operation. You remember the discussion? And my point was basically don't over-moralize the functions of the business. We tend to want to be men. We tend to say to basically people teaching us the Word of God, don't tell me the principles, tell me the how-tos. Are we together? And guys, that is a dangerous route. You want to know the principles because out of the principles you must determine the application. The truths don't change, the applications change. What is cross-cultural is the principles, not the application. That's why Christianity sells in Japan, sells in China, sells in all the other nations, because the principal truths are still truths irrespective of the culture. It's the applications that move around. We tend to seek for application. Tell me how to. Don't ask me to think. And if, the, if there's anything in a, the retreat that Winston is behind, it is think. Learn how to think. Become men who think. Because in the end result, you are the last beacon of hope in our society. I want to thank Winston for asking me back uh, one more year. Uh, Winston and God share a number of things. Uh, one of them is grace. The difference between God and Winston is Winston's grace has a time limit on it. <laughs> It only lasts for one year, and so I don't have any idea what's going to come up out of this guy. So, but I do thank you, Winston, and I, and I'm, I'm, I say that sincerely because just the chance of meeting you men and being around and, and talking to you and hearing your questions and hearing your discussion has just been very, very invigorating to me. And uh, that's, I'm the winner, and, and I thank you very much, Winston. Thank you, Lee, for all the work you did, Chuck, and TJ, and uh, Skip. I really, really thought you are uh, uh, devotion was great, and Trevor, appreciate you sharing today out of Philippians. Those are all important pieces, and uh, that's great. Now today, uh, I want to take on the last, I hate to take this E-square off, Winston's very concerned I do that, but what I want to do is, we talked about these three. And what I want to say, I just want to make a comment about them as we go through, because here's where I'm going to go today. And let me say to you, I'm going to do a Bible study today on this. Is what I'm going to do. We'll just walk us through a study, and we're going to talk about it. And let us come to our conclusions. The first one is the attitude gyroscope. And my, the point I was trying to make, for you to make the journey of life, God has asked us and told us to consider uh, five things very, very carefully in our estimation of who he is. Remember that. And uh, it's been discussed, the uh, sovereignty of God, the goodness of God, and the two that were not reviewed is God as the creator and God as the savior. And those are, we need to do that. But also the fourth one was when, uh, when commenting on Abraham in Romans, the attribute that set him apart was that in consider, in contemplation, in thinking, he realized he 
could not achieve what God had in mind. It was only up to God the way he was going to do it. A proper evaluation of yourself and a better evaluation of God. This is what will stabilize you and take you through life. This is the thing you must always come back to, drive your stake into, and walk away from. Okay? Secondly, rules of others. And we talked about the fact that in a relationship to people, we must get the proper evaluation of who we are at the throne of grace. Then we can serve others. And then we can consider, think, ponder, meditate, how I might stir you up to love and good works. And we are commanded to be contemplative on how I may stir you up to love and good works. Interesting challenge, guys. I don't know the last time I thought about, I'm going to be with uh, Winston. I'm, how am I going to stir him up to love and good works? And yet we are commanded to do that. Then it said that if you go about being this, really what you want out is you want people, as they study and contemplate and think about you, they see you as a servant of Christ and a steward of the mysteries of God. As we leave this meeting and we start the journey, I challenge you to become men who are stewards of the mystery of God. What a great challenge. Men who know the word, who can get up and discuss it, who understand the principles. Men committed to the veracity of the Bible. This is not a new thing, but my observation of today's culture, the real issue between us and the church and society is the challenge of the veracity of the Bible. Do you believe the Bible is true? And that is the great argument that's being waged among all circles I deal with. It needs to fit culture better. Well, doesn't it just, shouldn't it work better if we did it this way? And we're doing everything to strain to make the Bible fit society. Gentlemen, the greatest thing that could do is that we can make society fit the Bible. Veracity of the word is a big thing, and I encourage you on that. Then we talked about anxiety and the issues of God's antidote to anxiety. And today, we're going to talk on suffering. And this is a uh, multimedia presentation because I want to use two flip charts. <laughs> this, is, this is a Winston multimedia. That's right. Now we're going to study, we're going to go through and dialogue on Hebrews 12, 1 through 7. And I want to say to you, anytime you do a Bible study, anytime you do a Bible study, you should think about what the meaning, what are the key words being used and what the meanings of those words are. All right? So we're going to dip down into these studies and we're going to stop and talk about what these words meant. The first night I spent, I told you a lot about the word consider. Encourage you to look it up in your Greek dictionary. Not anything great. Just look it up in your Greek uh, dictionary and go through and study what the word means and all the roots of the word. And it is a serious challenge to be thoughtful and to be contemplative and to be people who meditate and spend time making observations and conclusions. We'll talk about these other words, but one word I want to get off quickly was the word suffering. What does suffering mean? It's a word we throw around a lot. What does tribulation mean? What does persecution mean? Are they the same? Are they different? What is because the word, the Bible uses multiple words, and I want to give you my take on the word. And it influences a lot about how I think about it. Suffering could mean difficult times. It comes in the point of irreversible setback. I have a car accident, I become a paraplegic. I contract cancer, <clears throat> and I have a six-year journey to the grave, etc. Irreversible setbacks in our environment. Persecution. What is persecution? Is persecution only when I stand up for Jesus and get rejected? Or is persecution also when I say the Bible is correct and I'm going to live the application of the Bible in my life, irrespective of the sociological impact coming back or the circumstances pushing me back. And I want to suggest to you persecution is both of those things. Do I need to go back over that again? It is being rejected because I stood up for Jesus, and secondly, getting circumstance, negative circumstances fed back to me because I am applying the Bible into my life. Okay? It's a learning process. Today we're going to talk about chastening. And part of suffering is the learning process of God. 
God's great learning process is not only by the Bible and Bible studies, but it's by taking you into tribulation, taking you into stress. And all this, let us rejoice in our tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And that is the learning process of God to bring us to a man who can serve him. And it's also tribulation. I'm going to suggest suffering in the Bible is all five of those things. And I'm going to define suffering for you by saying it's a product of opposition. It's the product of opposition to being God's man and to seeing God's work in my life. That's how I'm going to define it. Questions or comments? Romans 5, 3 through 5. Romans 5, 3 through 5. Okay? Beg your pardon. Is it inclusive or exclusive list? Uh, it is not exhaustive. It is my observation. The Bible uses a lot of these phrases. It uses... Uh, Difficult times uses persecution, it learns tribulation, and it uses this one. I, I've never seen it use irreversible setback other than we can observe that as, as one of the issues. There may be others, but I know the Bible uses this, and I've always wondered what's the difference between here and here and here and here and here. Are, is, are they all different with different aspects? I've come to the conclusion they're one package with God. Actually, I was, I was asking about... Well, I don't care what you ask. That's the answer. That, that's Get the, the right answer, question. The issue is not my answer. The issue is your question. Yeah, we were talking about your 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 eminent clarity early, earlier. <laughs> that's right. Uh, product of opposition. That was the one I was camping you on. Again? I'm your, your really product, trouble hearing you. Now, product, now start over now. Product of yes. opposition to being God's man. That was what I meant by inclusive or exclusive. In other words, is suffering limited to happening because of those things can suffering not also I'm occur to, to the opposition to being God's man may manifest itself in any one of these kind of things in suffering yes or it may manifest as seeing God's work in my life for instance I may have an irreversible setback and be bitter about God and not be able to see God's work in my life my question is is all suffering by the man of God does it, does it result in that definition? All suffering is in, is because God of opposition. His sovereignty is in our best interest. Right. It is to produce character and character hope. I'm going to give up. Okay, do you want to ask It's me. Yeah. Once again, you have stumped the audience. <laughs> I'm sorry, TJ, I'm not getting... Does somebody understand the question? I'm, yes, sir. Claire. Craig. And the 26... I, I think what he's saying is, um, can suffering come from another source? Satan, the world. Is that, is that it? Okay. Then, rather than God? When I'm suffering, can I say, okay, I, got, I, I can think it through it this way. This must be the product of opposition to me being God's man. Is suffering always from God? Is that your question? No. Okay. Is it a result of, is it a product of, is it always a product of opposition to being God's man and seeing God's work in my life? I think all opposition to where I want to go and what I want to do. And then it is brought into my life and in the sovereignty of God. And I see it as an inhibitor to being God's man and also as a distraction from seeing God's work in my life. Okay? Got that? Any other questions? Is there any other clearer questions? Okay. Yes, sir. Could it be that um, suffering could be um, something that would, instead of opposing you to becoming God's man, it would encourage you to become God's man? Let me say to you, suffering, good question. Did everybody hear the question? Let me say to you, suffering is opposition which turns into helping us being God's man. 
Suffering's key to God's suffering is always our best interest. Would we agree? Remember the great Hebrew phrase, ge'ik ombia. Everybody knows that one, right? God is in control and has my best interest at heart. So irrespective of what's going on in my life, it's in my best interest. All suffering is intended for my best interest. Irrespective of how I see it at that time, it's always, it's always intended to my best interest. Ge'ik am bia. A famous Hebrew phrase. God is in control and has my best interest at heart. That is a truth, guys. You, never, you want to go to bed every night saying it to yourself. Are you with me? It is one of the preeminent truths in the Bible. Preeminent truth. So the question that suffering may start off with pain but it is always intended for my gain. It may come off with struggle, but it is to strengthen me for my life to be God's man. It's always pre preparation for heaven. And I promise you, I see very little in this environment that's going to prepare me for heaven. It's, it's preparing me to be a slouch. God is working on us to be his man and to experience his favor. Now, did I answer the question? Yes, sir. Gail, what about the suffering that I cause myself? Okay. What about the suffering that caused yourself? Don't take that question, TJ. That's not what you were saying. <laughs> How can you... As I look at my life, I, I know that uh, any time things go wrong, the first thing I think is, uh, what's the sin in my life? Anybody ever do that? That's the first thing that comes into my mind. And I realize that after I've lived enough life that I can't sort that out. I don't know. I have done things, guys, I know I have sinned to the degree that God should come down personally and hammer me. Do you agree? Anybody got that? I got it on my docket. And yet I've seen God walk right by it. Right by it. I want to say to you, you cannot attach cause and effect to your suffering. You say, well, it's because of my stupidity. Well, it could have been, but I've got to tell you, I've done very stupid things and God has blessed them. Anybody done that one? I've done that one. I have those sinned and God's not taking me down. I cannot attach cause and effect to my suffering. All I can do is attach that God's in control and has my best interest at heart. And in his sovereignty, he is bringing this issue into my life. All right? Who asked that question? Okay. Is that a good enough answer? No, you don't, you don't like it? It's the result. If God comes after me, what number? If God, if God comes after me for, for my stupidity, my sin. You know, wait a minute, stupidity may not be sin, you just may be stupid. True. <laughs> I've got both of them going for me. I, I appreciate ahead. your clarification. Yeah. <laughs> I want to clarify those words. But assuming that I have the potential to sin and that God has a tendency You're beyond potential, to jump on that, to jump on that, would, would, would he do that elusively? Would he jump on me for my sin and then leave me wondering whether he did it for that reason or not? I tell you what, in my observation of God is you never know. He will never make it clear enough to you because yep. you will always deal in faith. I've done things and I've said, uh, things have come back to me and I said, that's because of my sin. I said, is that right, God? And I listen very carefully and I hear nothing. And then I just, everything's perfect and all of a sudden I fall in a hole. Now what's the sin? I can't see one. We always want to attach it to a cause and effect. Do poorly, God's unhappy. Do well, God's happy. If I do well, I'll get rich. If I do poorly, if I sin, I'm going to go in the hole. You cannot draw the correlation. God will not let you get there because once you do, you got God checkmated. And you can't go there. He's not going to let you go there. 
Now, that doesn't mean I don't see sin in my life and I fall on my face and ask for forgiveness. I'm not saying that, Glenn. But to say that sin caused that event, I've not ever been able to do that. I don't see it in the scriptures either. David and his son? Hmm? David and his son died? Okay. Uh, that, that was a direct correlation to that situation. And you notice that David prays to the very end on this situation, hoping God will reverse the thing. God may have reversed it. Then would that have been God's sin? I mean, David's sin? God came to David and said, because you did that, I'm going to kill your son. That's the difference. He's never done that to me. And he, there's nothing in the scriptures says they will do that either. Yes, sir. Number 26. Um, Peter seems to write a, a lot about Peter. He writes a lot about suffering. And one of the things that really stands out in my mind is he says, it sounds like carte blanche to me, you are going to suffer. Then he says, it's better to suffer for doing good than for doing bad. How does that relate to this discussion about where well, suffering I think it's comes very from? wise advice that you ought to be staying doing good and still suffer. But I'm going to say to you, you can't draw the correlation. You just have no cause and effect correlation in the scripture. I think it's just good advice. Stay doing good. What he's saying also is do good in society. And if society is tough on you, It'd be better to do it that way than to dodge what's doing good. But you may do good in society and somebody may not say anything to you. Then you can do good to your employees and just give everything you have to them and they'll resent you. Guys, God is not predictable. I heard Hank give a talk uh, a week ago, three week, a month ago now, and he said that God is predictably unpredictable. And that's a true statement. Very true statement. Hank, you want to ask a question? Or did you just want to repeat your talk that day? <laughs> okay. Yes, Winston. How does, uh, how does Satan fit into this whole picture? Uh, Walt said that he's a responder. I, I call him his, I think Satan is God's dutiful servant. He does what God tells him to do. Beg your pardon? Okay. He's his dutiful servant. Satan only comes into your life when God says, go sick, Craig. Get him. Go sick, Gail. Satan, God's not saying, where does Satan, where's Satan today? Where'd he go today? I've got to find him because he's doing some evil somewhere. I don't see any place in the scripture that Satan is a loose cannon. And I know that's not very theological in the way I said that. But in uh, the deal with Job, I promise you, he only did what God let him do. He only did what God told him to do. He challenged God, and God said, you can go do, go do this, see what happens. Now, we don't like that because we want God to be a good guy that said, I'm sorry that happened to you. And I want to say to you, if I understand the scriptures and reading the scriptures in my own life, God said, I'm glad I did it to you. He didn't give Satan the credit for any of that stuff. He's totally pleased with the fact that he made you suffer. Comments or questions? Clarification, Walt? <laughs> How about oh, the scripture? Yeah. <laughs> How about the scripture that says... Be careful of your enemy, the devil, who roams around like a, a lion. And you should resist him. You should resist temptation. You should always be prepared. It doesn't mean Satan won't come at you. I'm just saying Satan's not a loose cannon. So he's ro roaming around like a roaring lion is not of his own device. God's he is only roaring in my backyard because God put him there. Okay. Yes, sir. I got to go on with this talk someday. We'll, we'll can, get forward here. This Gail, is the last you, one, then we're going to go on. Gail, can you give us some more scripture to back that up? What you're saying about Satan is uh, not a loose cannon, and can you give us? Some Wait, let me say to you: Give me a scripture where it shows me. Let's do it in reverse. Give me the scripture that shows me that he's a free agent, doing what he wants to do, roaming around hurting people, and God is out of control. And then I'll give you the other side, because there is no other scripture. By illustration. 
you take a uh, you take a Job, the Job experience, and so forth. Chris, you can't ask a question. We're going on. Okay, let's go on. Any clarification, Daddy? <laughs> so we want to do we want to do uh, Hebrews twelve one through seventeen. So somebody read to me Hebrews 12, 1 through 4. Who's going to do that? Okay, thank you. Read it and tell me what it means. Yes. Pick up a, pick up a speaker. <clears throat> 1 through 4, and tell me what it says. What does it mean? Therefore, we all, we all, we also, since didn't we are. Didn't say that three times. It says, therefore. <laughs> therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against okay. it. Tell me the two or three major points out of that scripture we should learn. Well, what are the things we ought to observe? Um, that we have to endure. Um, okay, what does endure mean? Endure means we have to start we have to go through it, and we have to finish it. Okay. Anybody, everybody agree with that? It's not bad. Uh, is, is all the word endure the same for every occasion? I think not. I think not, too. Some endures mean I can walk away from. Would you agree? Uh, I'm in a hot room. I don't want to endure it. I leave the room. Everybody agree with that? Then there's an endure that I'm a paraplegic. I want to get up and walk. Can't do that. Nothing that's ever going to do is going to make me do that. So I, I, I endure an irreversible setback. Are we together? There's two different words for endure. Would we agree? Okay. Do we? The word endure in this, test, this area speaks of choice. I choose to stay the course. The word is a word picture of a man putting his back under a load and staying there. Are we together? So learn what the word means. I choose to be God's man irrespective of the consequence. So when he calls us to endure, it means I choose to stay there. And that's the call to you and I in this room. So your concept of endure is right on. The rest of this chapter speaks of endurance. What else do you pick up? Um, pick up that we have to walk the, the Christian walk despite the opposition that we will encounter. Okay, that's endure again. That's endure. What are other observations? What, what's the, what does verse 1 say? What does it say for us to do? Therefore what? Let us lay aside. Now what's the first part of it? With so great a host of what? Where's it go? Hmm? Okay, what is he talking about? From chapter 11. He's coming out of chapter 11 and he's talking about the people of faith. In Romans 15, 4, it says the Old Testament is written so by perseverance and endurance we might have hope. We have the old saints so we may have hope. What does that mean? Why would that be true? Yes, that's right. If those, if those derelicts could do it, there's a good chance God loves me too. Those were really some derelicts back there. I mean, they're actually worse than some of you guys in here. Uh, and seeing God loving and working with those men is a hope to us. And that's why he said it. Then he said, consider what? What are we to consider, even though you put your mic up? We consider Christ. Stop and think about who Christ is and what Christ did. How many, how many times do you just sit around and consider who Jesus, our Savior, is and what he went through? You just sit and contemplate our Savior. I, I think that's what he's saying, do. Do we agree or disagree? Hmm? 
So as he sets you up for suffering, he says, consider the saints and consider Christ. And set yourself up to endure. Do we agree? That's all he's done so far. Who will read 5 through 11 and interpret it for me? Okay, Scott. You're on, Scott. Now read 5 through 6. Have, and, and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. Okay, so what did it say, Scott? He's, um, he's on him because he says you've forgotten a basic thing I've told you. He said, because you're sons, I have what? Disciplined you. I disciplined you. What's another word used in it? Say, say it out. Chastening. What does chastening mean? What's the word mean? Now, guys, we're going to be Bible scholars. We're going to, we are going to be stewards of the mystery of God, so we've got to know what these words mean. So what does chastening mean? What do you think it means, Craig? What would be the first thing that come to your mind? When your dad chastened you, what did he do? Beat you to death. That's good thinking. Good way to, way to go, Dad. Congratulations. We consider it, we do see it as punishment sometimes, right? What else? Instruction. Instruction. Pure, that's interesting. A purifying process. I hadn't thought of that. Refining. You just stole off him, TJ, but that's okay. <laughs> Let me say to you that the Greek word means educated through discipline. Now, why he interprets it chastening, I don't know why they do that in the King James. Because it, to me, it means rebuke when you say chastening. Uh, like I thought, like Craig said, that's what I would say. But he said in 5 through 6, because you're a son, you will be chastened. And it means that you will be educated through dis discipline. The process you're going through is to educate you. And educate you on what? God's way and who you are. Okay, so far so good? Who will read 7 through 8? Who's going to 7 to 8? Chris, and interpret it. I don't know if I signed up for that. <clears throat> it is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all of you become partakers, then you are illegitimate children, not sons. Okay, Chris, we're going to do a study together. He uses the word if twice, right? It, yes. And so when he uses if, what does the word if mean? When I read if, no, did you say sin? Sense, no. It's a what? Condition. There's my lawyer. There's my wordsmith. Condition. It's a condition. This is true, and now here's two conditions. Anytime you see the word if in the Bible as stewards of the mystery of God, sink in on him because he's given you a condition to think about. Condition one is what? If we're, yeah. What? What's your first if? Hank said if we're out without discipline. No, no, don't worry about Hank. You're on. <laughs> I agree. I concur with Hank. <laughs> <laughs> if what? <laughs> if what? Chris, this is a trick question. What's, read the first if statement. I thought I did. Well, do it again. Just If you're without discipline. Is that no. the second? No, that's, yeah. Read the first one. If you're disciplined and endure... God deals with you as with sons. Okay. So if we endure, we know that we are... Chris, Chris, don't talk to your neighbors. We are the sons. He doesn't have the answer. What's the second if? Uh, you got me all flustered here today. No one's going to Yeah. Just back off. But if you are without discipline... What? What's it, what? Okay. If you're illegitimate children. Okay, so he gave us two conditions. If you endure, you're a son... If you're without discipline, you're not a son. What's the third condition he left out? What comes to your mind he left out? What about if you are disciplined and you don't endure? He left that one out. And I would suggest to you, if we understand the word endure, the second condition really is the one he left out. If I am not, if I am not chastised, which would mean I don't endure, which means I leave the premises, I'm not going to be in the hot room anymore, then I am escaping from the journey with Jesus. 
I think he did answer the third if. You're not legitimate sons, he says, if you run. Is that a fair interpretation? Okay. 9 through 11. Craig, why don't you do that for me, since you're close by. Now, what I'm doing, guys, is I want to go through, we're just doing a study. How do you do a study? What is he trying to teach us? Hebrews 12, it's A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, H, right after G, right after Galatians. <laughs> Hebrews 12. 9 through 11, Craig. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Okay, tell me the things we, you observe, Craig. Powerful set of verses. Uh, He's teaching us about suffering. And that suffering is, uh, at the moment, seems bad, but is ultimately I joyful. think that's a good point. It, it, no, no, don't leave me. That, that's a good point. Suffering, it, we're not supposed to say, boy, I'm sure glad I'm in suffering. I see nothing in the scripture that invites us to be Pollyanna about the fact I hurt. See, it, it appears to be distressful. It appears bad. I hurt. What else do we learn? We learn that it, yet it is, in fact... Uh helps yield uh, peaceful fruit of righteousness. Okay, so the end product is the peaceable. Is it peaceful or peaceable? Peaceful. Okay, what version do you have? Uh, huh? The right one, <laughs> the right one yeah. <laughs> Mine says peaceable fruit of righteousness, which we'll get to in a moment. There's a difference in the word there. What else do you have? That uh, our earthly fathers... Uh, Discipline us. It's an inherent parent-child relationship. And by the way, what it would suggest to you, if you do not believe you should discipline your children to educate them, you are giving them the wrong view of God. If I understand this verse at all. They will learn that a parent-child relationship has discipline involved in it. And I learn from that discipline. If you say, I can't do that because I don't strike my child in this huggy buggy buggy love, I'm going to love him into good behavior. Two things are true. One, you're delusionary. And two, you're not teaching him about God. Fair enough? Is there any other observation, Craig, you'd like to make? Good observation. Any other? Just that the, uh, the, when you look at the importance between the two, that the, your earthly father's discipline is limited time frame, where your heavenly father's is unlimited time frame. Good. And it's also, there's a profit to it. Now he says that you will get the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Can you interpret that for me, Craig? It sounds really good. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? And I'd like to get it. <laughs> good. The chastening of God, education through struggle, education through discipline, yields in you the fruit of righteousness, which creates peace. This is the way I interpret it in the people you're dealing with. I think it's peaceable, which means that the fruit of righteousness generates peace. That's the way I went back and read it, Hank, when I went and studied it. It is not peace and the fruit of righteousness because God gives me the fruit of righteousness. Now, what might be the fruit of righteousness? The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And as these are manifested in me, then I will get the transaction I want, and that is an, uh, the transaction is between myself and others that I am affecting them in the right way and creating peace. Peace with God and peace with others. Question. Yes, sir. Yes, it also says you have no reason to believe you're a legitimate son. Very damning comment in there. Yes, sir. Glenn, you're, you're restricted to 81 questions in one seminar. Thank and you. This is the 81st. It's good to know my limitations. <laughs> Um, Walt, I cleared him out. He will never ask you a question. Going back to the, the issue of endurance, 
is is my identification as a son a function of my ability to endure or simply a function of the fact that God is chastening me? Now, what does the scripture say? I, I, what do you think it says? I'm actually, it says if. There's you, two, two conditions. And the first one is if you do endure, what? Let's first read the first one. I, I, I was does over. everybody know where we are? I was cross-referencing over to Romans 5, so I'm not there. Okay, somebody, would you read it, Greg? If you endure chastening, what? So I'm going to be, and I have, I have the full assurance that God is in control and has my best interest. My part of the deal is to endure. Will you say that means he's going to deal with me as a son? The only reason I know that is because I'm enduring. There's no particular trait that goes on. I don't see a hand come down out of heaven and move me around. It is, he said, if you'll endure, I'll deal with you as a son. Then he says a second condition. What's the second condition? But if you are without a chastening, Do you want me to read, read the, first the first condition was, verse 7, if you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. Verse 8 is the second condition. But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. So it says that if I have no chastening, and so, so let me suggest another phrase. If I have a life that has no suffering, I'm an illegitimate son. Then I said there's a third if he left out. If chastening comes and I walk, he didn't put that condition in there. And I suggested that condition two is condition three. Because if I walk, then I never stay in the suffering. I leave, I abandon, I quit. I walk from the deal. I have a troublesome son, so I just leave. I got a marriage I don't like getting along with, so I just walk. I got a business situation I'm not happy with, so I just exit the door. I don't ever stay the course for God. That's what I was trying to say. Do you agree with it, Craig? These were your verses. You're my man. <laughs> Okay, so we have learned you need to look up words, right? We've learned that you need to look for statements, like conditional statements, like the word if. If he's doing it, I've got to stop and think. You've got to think exhaustively. He said two of them, but he left out a third condition. You ought to ask the questions. What is that? Was there something he didn't ask that I need to be asking? And the answer is, yeah. There was something he left out. Yes, sir. So you talked about uh, staying the course, and even in, in business, how do you know that the suffering that you're going through isn't to help move you to a different place in your life? The answer is you must think all suffering is in your best interest. Now, do I, when I'm, I'm in a struggle business-wise, do I work like mad to try to resolve it? Absolutely. Do any time in that struggle, do I say to God, uh, you're not in this, this is Satan? No, I never say that. I could just say, I'm going to walk and leave it to my partner. I'm not going to handle this anymore. I'm just going to cheat on the books. I'm not going to handle this anymore. I'm just going to say to the banker, I'm going to give him less than all the information so he can make a reasonable decision. There's all kinds of angles I can take, and that's cutting the process short, and that's what God has told us not to do. I, I guess my question was, you know, a lot of times I see where he might be asking you to go on the mission field or something, get out of your business situation. So it's not, you know, the suffering might be helping you to understand okay. what he but, has in store for you, something else. Let me say this to you. Almost everybody I've ever met in my life who goes into a tough business deal, this includes me. Immediately, the first thing that comes to mind, I need to go to the mission field. <laughs> Where the men are strong and the women are beautiful. And I, I really want to encourage you, be sure you have a calling from God before you walk that direction. There's a rare bird that belongs over there. That's one of the rare birds. Listen, the mission field, I have enough pagans around me. I don't have to go any place to pick up a pagan. Now, there are great, the mission field, like the guy in the inner city, standing round of applause. Our friend that goes to China, standing round of applause. I mean that. But don't think because... The, the stuff hits the fan immediately. I need to exit this thing and go to some foreign service because I want to promise you, you've got a mission field. This is what Winston talked about. That's what Hank talked about yesterday. 
on the priesthood of believers. You don't need to leave the city limits to find heathens. Let's use that as an example. I mean, it could be that you need to change jobs or change businesses. I just saying that I can see where God is using situations in your life to move you where he wants you. I totally agree with you. But let me also say to you, I want to I wanna emphasize this point, and I'm overemphasizing it, okay? You don't deserve this strong an answer. But almost everybody, man I've ever met, young man like yourself, strong, tough, been in business, everything goes, to, goes downhill. <laughs> the first thought that comes across their mind, I'm sure I belong in the mission field, where I could just sit around and study the Word and help people. Guys, wait till God calls you uniquely. You're called to the priesthood of believers. There is no confusion with that call. Just open your Bible. It's there. Wake up. You want to know what you're called to? Tomorrow morning when you say hello to your children and hug your wife and go into work, you're called to that mission field. It is a gigantic mission field. That doesn't mean you should not go off and do other things. But don't read suffering as a drive in that direction. Be very careful. Get a lot of counsel. Yes, Winston. Gail, uh, take just piggybacking on on what he has please. asked. Uh, let's um, no, I want you to do it, please. <laughs> Is take the take the mission field part out of the question, and so how can I? What can I legitimately? Or how can I? Can I legitimately look at my circumstances and? What can I legitimately uh, derive from that as far as information from God that maybe he's wanting me to just to change jobs or he's wanting me to move to a different town or he's wanting me to um, take the mission field part of it out of it and, and address that of just looking at circumstances and trying I'm, to figure out what God says. And I'm going to do an inadequate answer. I want to tell you that up front. Okay, that is a... I just do not know the algorithm to feed to somebody on that question. But let me make a couple of comments, uh, if I may. Um, one comment is, I woke up at 40-some year, years of age and went to business for myself, and the question was, should I change or go to this job or that job? Should I change my total skill base, etc.? And it came to me that the conclusion was, why do I work in the first place? And it is to be in the, in the field to be a mission to other men. It is to be Christ's man's in the marketplace. Then why do I want to learn another skill, spend the next 10 years getting good at something, take what I'm good at and go do what I'm good at? Are you with me? That doesn't mean you don't jump careers. But I'm saying if you move out of a city and move into another career, it will cost you a minimum of five years of your life. Minimum. I've had guys that say, I want to move my wife to uh, Pennsylvania, Chris. It's going to cost you three years of your wife's life because she's lost her infrastructure. She's lost her friends. I moved my wife seven times, guys. I'm in the business. I know what it means. It costs you three years. You've got to pick up new friends. You've got to pick up a church. You've got to pick up a place to go to school, et cetera, et cetera. It absorbs your total wife, and she's lost all her infrastructure. Now, you, you've trundle over to your business and you've got immediate relationships. They don't have that. So when you start moving, it's going to cost you. That doesn't mean you shouldn't move. Please understand, I didn't say don't move, but be realistic. I'm going to jump professions, a minimum of five years. You've got to go learn what it's about. You don't, you're not the president here and you go across as a president. You're president here and you come back down here as a junior assistant substitute clerk. Come in low and begin to build up your skill base again. It, co <laughs> it costs you time. That doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. Please understand that. I'm, in, I'm not saying you shouldn't do it, but weigh it heavily because what am I doing? Because what does God call me to? Did God call me to be a minister in the marketplace? If he did, how is the best way to optimize that? That's all I'm saying. Now, does God give you strong indications on leaving a job? I've only continued to tell you this story. I, and more then one time in my life, and I would bet this is true of everybody in here, I've had a guy come to me and he says, I really think God wants me out of this job. Why, I say. Well, the president is a heathen. 
He's chasing women and drinking booze. The guy is unethical. It's a horrible condition, and I've got to get out of there. Oh, that's tough. And I'm going to leave because I think God wants me out of there. Well, it's interesting. Then he comes back to me about a couple of weeks later. I found the perfect place. It's a bunch of Christians, and we just love each other. We're going to get together and pray every morning before work, and this is going to be an incredible experience. And I'm going to leave this heathen and go over there. And I said, I guess so. So I see him about six months later, and I say, how's it going? He said, it's unbelievable. We pray every day. We see God's hand. I mean, one sails after, after another. I mean, it's unbelievable. Well, that's great. See him a year later. How's it going? I want to tell you, God's got his hands on us, and those guys are corrupt. There's no idyllic. There's no Christian business, gentlemen. There are men. There are Christians in business. There is no Christian business. A business is an environment which will create strife, period. It's got money. It's got pride in it. It's got all the ingredients of strife, and it will bring strife. It's how you as a Christian weather it is what the issue is. So don't think there's an ideal company waiting for you to run over to work for. Because if there is, give me a call. I've just not seen it yet. Yes, sir, Greg. Excuse me, in the law profession, there are idyllic guys. <laughs> no strife there. I'm not one of them. Okay. <laughs> How much time do I have, Winston? Because I do want to finish this up. All right. 17, I'm great. That's it. You may have already, in a sense, answered this, but aren't you really saying that the question Winston's asking is really a determination of God's will in the circumstance and the present circumstances that you find yourself in business are only one factor to consider in determining what God's will is for you in that circumstance, whether to stay or change careers or whatever. Well, see, I clearly believe there's a perfect will of God, and I clearly believe I never quite figure out what it is. I'm in faith from the day I wake up to the minute I go to bed at night. Now, guys, I may be letting you down. I just, I just wrestle with that. I don't see it. Yes, sir. Now, here's the perfect will of God right here. First, you say you're a trophy husband. I recommend a good ophthalmologist. <laughs> I hate to go back to your, your actual talk, but when you're talking about suffering, you're giving three <laughs> options. There is a, there is a time limit. I'm, I'm there is a time limit. Here. No, 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 no. No, no, no. When a guy when a guy gets off a sarcastic remarks, you got thirty seconds to answer, All right. or you lose your chance. <laughs> it's the same thing on talk. It's a dead mic. You give three options. Of what? Of suffering here. comes. If suffering on the if, comes on the if statements, I don't know what, what you mean. You gave three options. If, if I know I didn't comes, give three options. Three three scenarios. Three conditions. Three conditions. I did not give them. The Bible gave them. Please understand this is not me talking. Well, the, the Bible, Bible said, if we endure and if we are not, that's, I'm just telling you, that's what it said. It was read. Okay, but that's two. I two, and I said, it begs the third question. Okay, what I'm asking is, is there really only two? Because you said, if suffering comes and you endure, you're a son. That's what, no, the Bible said that. Please, right, right. Okay, I do want to make that okay. distinction. I did not say that. All right, if suffering comes and you endure, you're a son. If you don't endure, you're not a son, or... That's what the Bible and, said. You're an illegitimate the third son. question, what if suffering doesn't come? I said, did he leave out a third condition? I, what I'm saying is, I don't believe that third condition exists. I, I don't know anyone who escapes opposition, who escapes suffering. Read me the second condition, somebody. If you don't mind. And yeah, Greg, you're the designated if reader. Verse 8, but if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not All I'm saying is, he said, if you do not have chastening, and by the way, everybody around you is being chastened, you're an illegitimate son. And I just said, what does that if statement mean? All I'm saying is, I think the, the suffering is universal. I agree. And you have two options. To endure or not endure. I don't totally see agree. the third. I thought it was option. interesting the way he worded it. Let me okay. tell you okay. let me tell you why I did it. Here's why I did it. 
I want to challenge you guys to be stewards of the mystery of God. I want you to not take it easy on yourself when you read a scripture. He said two ifs. I said, isn't there a third if? He says, it's not a third if. There's a I don't care. Argue, let's argue it around, but let's come to a conclusion. What is the Bible trying to teach you? Think critically. Think. You've got to think. What did it say? It's not what Gail said. Gail didn't say anything. It's what did the Bible say? So I went through that kind of exercise to say, let us be sure we got our hat on and thinking about what it says. Now, when I come out the backside, there's some good conclusions we came out with. Everybody with me on that? The truth is the truth. The application follows truth. That's all I'm doing. Somebody's going to read 12 and 13. Who reads 12 and 13? Stuart, you did, I mean, Greg, you did such a good job. You read 12 and 13 and interpret for us. Uh, verse 12. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but rather be healed. Okay. What do you think that says? And why is it there? By saying, therefore, he's saying, in light of what's been said. Good point. Very good point. He says, therefore, watch out, here comes a conclusion. He's already given us the product of endurance right, peaceable fruit of righteousness. Then he says, therefore, go ahead. Um, don't squander what you've been taught, but use it to make yourself, use it to teach yourself and make yourself stronger and better. Very good. I, I like that. Anybody agree? Any other interpretations? I interpreted it to say, when you go through suffering, you're going to be weakened. Strengthen your hands. Stay the course. Don't wander around. Stay in the Bible. Stay down the line. That's what I read it. Anybody want to? Yeah. To, to me, it also means that uh, remember that you're, you need to be dependent, and you are dependent. Good. All of this is good. This is good stuff. Yes, Craig, you want to say something. Craig Babylon. Pick up the mic, please, sir. No mic, no jike. Define jike. <laughs> yeah. It's an old Hebrew word. <laughs> that means no recording. I'm not, I, I'm not going there. No pain, no gain. Yes. Okay, no pain, no gain. Guys, what he said was endure, 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 endure. By the way, strengthen your hands. Stay the course. Well, I like those little encouraging pops in the po-po when I go through there. Are you with me? He's chattering with us. Get in there. Stay in there. Then he starts on the last of the journey, which is 14 to 17. Who's going to do that one? Well, everybody leaped up on that one. No, no volunteers, huh? Yes, sir. Back there in the back. Now, what ver okay, go ahead. 20, what version do you have? This is the New King James Version. Okay, and I want to tell you, who has the NASB? I want to tell you, the NASAB, and I've looked at it in the Greek, doesn't handle this verse right. This is true. And I've been to guys who really study it, it just doesn't handle it right. It gives a completely different slant on it. It's okay, okay. So listen carefully the way he reads it in the King James or the New King James. New King James. Uh, 14 through 17. Yes, sir. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. I really meant 15 through 17. Go ahead. All right, 15. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, 
though he sought it diligently with tears. Okay, let's, we'll talk this as a group. You, you're not the only one that has to interpret. What are the first, in the King James, what's the first two words of King James? Looking diligently. Looking diligently. I'll, I'll go, that's what it is. Uh, what does that mean? And by the way, is looking diligently at what? Well, it, it is clearly looking back. Do you agree? So tell me what part is he telling you to look diligently at? Hmm? I'm sorry. Who's Grab the mic, whoever's speaking. That's all I'm asking. What am I looking diligently at? Could be all three. All three of those. I agree. Anybody else? I think he's saying number two. Look at the rules of chastening. Look at the nature of chastening is what's happening. That's what I think he's doing. Looking carefully, would I be wild in interpreting that as consider, give thoughtful appreciation of, understand it? Are we together? Any questions or comments on that? If it is, then he says you have three warnings. If you do not stay the course and you do not reap the reward, of the peaceable fruit of righteousness, three things can happen to you. Do you agree? Lest we come short of the grace of God. Is that the first one? Is that what he said? Is that what your Bible says? What is the grace of God? What's your name? Tim. Tim. Grab a mic. Tell me what the grace of God is. What is he saying to you when you read that verse? I think he's saying that um, it's something that we don't deserve. Okay. Is it the grace of salvation? No. It is not the grace. So there's two graces at least in the New Testament. Yes. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> yes. Say what, what would you say it was? I'm going to teach my 15-year-old child this. Stay the course, darling, in school. Don't give in to them. Therefore, you will not fall short of the grace of God. Daddy, what does the grace of God mean? My answer is... Great, great question. You need to think about that. I'll tell you my interpretation. The grace of God, there's two graces of God I see in the Bible. One, yes, Hank. Still my punchline. Yeah. <laughs> then you'll knock it off. Uh, I was thinking earlier in Hebrews where, you know, where we could approach the throne of grace to seek, to seek grace and help in time of need. Grace. It's an empowerment. My grace is sufficient. What do you mean my grace is sufficient? My empowerment is sufficient to you to live the life of Jesus. Are we together? God has said, I've given you grace to weather the storms. I've given you the strength to be the man I want you to be. You are not, de you are not deficient of the spiritual capacity to deal with the issue. Is that a legitimate interpretation? Everybody see that? And he says, if you do not endure, you will fall short of the grace of God. You'll come up short with what he wanted out of your life. You will come up short on everything he had in plan for you. You will not live to your full potential. Craig said that he said when he was in the young man, that if it's going to be, it has to be me. And our, our rhyme is, if it's going to be, it has to be the Holy Spirit. But I can be everything God wants me to be. I have all the goodies for the trip. Is that fair enough, guys? And if I walk away from suffering, I will come short of the grace of God. That's what he taught you. Now, because of time, I'm not going to go into these verses, but those are some verses you can look into. What's the second one? Greg, were you the reader? I can't remember who the reader was. Who is the reader? Oh, yeah, give me the second lest. Lest any root of bitterness spring up and cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Okay, another word I ask you to define, grace of God was one of them, and the other one was what does bitterness mean? Hmm? You don't have a mic. We got it, Greg, you're down to 82. You got to, <laughs> what, what is the word? Resentment. Resentment is one word. Does anybody, anybody want to believe that one? Any others? Yes, Hank. Anger over time. Anger over time. Over time. Oh, yes, kind of a seething type of thing. 
Why would he use bitterness in this particular case? Somebody help me. JT, I hate to let you in there. I'll never understand what you said. Go ahead, tell me. Sing me your answer, JT. Feelings. Bitterness, bitterness seems to me to be the conclusion, the resolute decision to not accept the circumstances that God has appointed. Okay, I'm going to speed it along and say to you, the reason I think he used bitterness is because we will come to the conclusion we're a victim. And our bad circumstances is not fair. And the conclusion is, I'm angry about that. Are we together? And I think the reason he uses bitterness is that suffering without proper endurance will create bitterness. Because we'll think God screwed us. I have to put it. Remember, as Jerry said to you last yesterday, there is no victim in the economy of God. When you hear it from God's point of view, you're not a victim. It's on purpose. Now, when somebody hits my car, I may be a victim of bad driving, but in the end result, it was God's doing. Are we together? Major lesson. And in our society, one of the great things we're teaching people is that you're a victim. And that is anti-scriptural. And the third is the Esau syndrome. Esau sold off his life for an easy thing in the world. And I want to suggest to you, if you run from endurance, if you run from it, your escape route will be back into the world. And you will adopt the habits of the world. Rue the day you did, but you'll go back to the world and try to find your identity in the world. The exit for suffering is to find your identity in the world. Guys, these are great verses in here. I did not do them service. I thought it'd be fun to kind of do a study together and look at some of the things you need to look at. And I want to leave you with a challenge to think about these verses. If you stay the course, wherever you are and whatever you're doing, you will get the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Here, here. If you choose to run or if you choose to shortcut the process, you stand in danger of coming short of the grace of God, falling into bitterness and returning to the world. It's a worthy exchange. Worthy, worthy exchange. Let me pray for us. God, you are a great God, and I know I did not do service to your word, but I pray, God, that in their hearts they will discern truth, and they will be moved with uh, great vigor to be men who serve you and take your chastening, your uh, training through discipline, your educating us on your ways through discipline, and it will change their lives, and that when we meet again sometime in the future, that they will be men that are deep in the Word and will be known as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. Amen.